Today is another special episode where we feature a couple. Chris and Audrey agreed to come on the show today to let us in on how they run their family budget and what it was like merging their finances when they got married. Our No Dumb Questions segment, we're going to talk about Bitcoin because everybody's talking about Bitcoin. Is this something you should jump in on too? And we'll take a seat at the kids' table, give you three money apps for the kids. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the seven figures podcast it truly means the world to me you guys are the best thank you for subscribing thank you for sharing the episodes with a friend leaving us a rating and a review if there's ever anything i can do for you just reach out i'm here for you all right before we get to chris and audrey let's start the show with no dumb questions Professor Emeritus at University Wisconsin-Milwaukee and author of Teachers Can Be Financially Fit, economist Mark Shug, a.k.a. Grandpa Mark, is here. <laughs> Thanks, Good morning, Chris. Sandy. Good morning. Okay, we got a lot to cover today, Grandpa. Okay. Are you I'm ready? I'm ready. All right, let's start with Bitcoin because everybody's talking about Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin hit $50,000 to buy a coin. So this got a lot of people interested. And then Tesla uh, bought, I think, $1.5 billion worth of uh, uh, Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin has changed a lot. It's come, you know, it really started as a cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. The idea was that you could have this amazing computer program that would allow complete strangers to make transitions at almost zero cost. So if you run a restaurant and every time someone uses their credit card, you know, that's a two and a half percent fee, 2.5% fee. Yeah, yeah. But if you had a cryptocurrency, there's no one standing between you. So when I buy a burger, there's no one standing between me and the restaurant. There's no bank. There's no credit card. The, the transition just happens and, and it's all done in, you know, a split second. Um, so that was the hope for great benefit. But then the IRS a few years ago ruled that it's not a currency. It's more like a thing. It's more like a commodity. And once they defined it that way, now it's kind of looked upon as a, you know, an investment that is highly speculative. So is so this something though, because you hear so much talk about it and you're right, the minute Elon Musk his name was attached to it. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, I want in on this. Is this something where somebody should jump in or don't worry about it? It's okay. It's high risk. It's just a lot of, you know. If my daughter came and said, dad, I'd like to get into Bitcoin, I'd say, honey, let's talk about maxing out on your 401k. Uh, Let's talk about normal investments. Now, if you want to spend a hundred bucks and have some fun, Fine, but uh, you know you don't you don't spend your children's college education or your retirement. Okay. Uh, you know the big boys they can take risks. They're they've got billions of dollars, and they're plus they're big traders. They they're yeah. this is their world. For all of we small investors, this is not our world. It's okay. very hard for us to compete with that. All right. So if you want to throw in just a little bit of little bit of money that you don't care if you lose, it's just that <laughs> entertainment do. kind of money. 
All right, so now let's move over to the stimulus package. So we're recording this on Monday. So anything can happen within the week, but let's just say, now this is where I would love to hear your take on it because you're an economist, you're unbiased, you're gonna just give us the facts. You hear one side of it that's like, you know, I've heard them say, spend, 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 now is the time to spend a lot and that'll help the future. Then I hear the other side of it that's like, well, this plan has a lot of frivolous spending, maybe a little bit too much. Your point of view, what's your take on it? What side of it are you on? Or is there anything in here that you're like, ooh, yeah, that, that's a little lavish spending right there? Well, let me take a swing at it. Okay. When we're working at this level, economists are not in agreement. You know, if, oh. we, if we were talking about... Uh, researching a company or some some microeconomic thing involving supply and demand or something, then you'd get a lot of agreement. But when we're working at the stratosphere, you know, with these kinds of figures, you're, you will get a breakout in economists. So not all economists are going to be on one side of the table. Um, the, the case for the stimulus is that a lot of it is very useful stuff. You've got money going to the vaccines and treatment and testing and medical supplies. That's $75 billion right there. Uh, another $7.2 billion for PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, which, you know, if the government's going to shut down a bunch of uh, businesses, it seems reasonable. And the ones that, and there's special help in there for restaurants and for live venue entertainment that really got destroyed uh, during this whole thing. Uh, there's money there for uh, airlines. Um, so you, you could make a good case that about 825 billion of this, maybe 900 billion, uh, is pretty straightforward, clearly attached uh, to COVID. The other remaining trillion dollars is far less well targeted. Um, it may be important spending to do, but it's a lot, and a lot of it has nothing to do with, or very, it's a real stretch uh, in some cases. Um, you've got an increase in food stamps. You've got a big increase, like $39 billion in childcare. Uh, you've got $35 billion in healthcare. Now, if you want to say that's all COVID, well, then you're okay. But uh, there's a big, like $350 billion is going to, state and local governments, and that's not counting schools. That's another $129 going to schools, $29 billion, and $40 billion going to higher ed. I mean, normally education spending is education spending, uh, and it's not you know, regarded as something uh, that's closely related to COVID. And then you've got, you see all these, all these uh, bills are working their way through Congress right now, and they're in various stages of committee work. So mm-hmm. we're on Monday, and it's not clear where this is all going to end. And the, the big issue is going to be the $15 uh, dollar minimum wage. That's also in there, too. And economists are even split a bit on the minimum wage. I'd say that most economists uh, are somewhat skeptical that the minimum wage is a, a good Thing. The thing they don't like about it is it's not well-targeted. It's another case of you're raising a minimum wage for all 50 states to the same level as if the labor markets in Mississippi were the same as the labor markets in California. The other major criticism is a lot of the current minimum wage, and certainly the $15 minimum wage, goes to families that are not in poverty. 
Why is that? Because half of the uh, people that get the minimum wage are teenagers. And of that number, the majority are living at home with their families. My daughter has three grandchildren. Two of them are working minimum wage jobs. Well, actually, they're working above the federal minimum wage. Uh, but my daughter's a superintendent of a school district, and her husband's an English teacher. Jay and Adele don't need the minimum wage. What they need is a job and to learn how to uh, show up to work on time and, and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But at $15, you're going to price all these kids out of the market. Uh, you know, who's going to pay uh, for an unskilled worker $15 an hour? No one's, you know, very, not many employees are, employers are going to want to do that. The one thing that happened about two weeks ago that we didn't have before is a report from the Congressional Budget Office. And I always say, economics is all about choices and choices always involve costs and benefits. Mm. So if we raise the minimum wage to $15 nationally an hour, it will, here's the good news, 0.9 million people will be elevated out of poverty. Great, great, great. 1.4 million people will lose their jobs. That's why economists are a little divided on this because yeah. it's clear some people are going to be helped. But it's also clear when you move it this far, $7.25 to $15, that's a huge jump. I'll tell you, what, you know what's happening every day now? I used to never see an article on, on inflation. Every day, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal, sometimes two or three, on inflation worries. Because we're moving into territory that we've never really been in before. You know, that's the overhang of this is what makes uh, people uh, a little nervous. A little nervous. Okay, so now let's transition into this is what I hear because of the potential for inflation or who the heck knows how we're going to pay this money back, what taxes are going to be like. Tell me what you think about this new idea of investing, this strategy. Okay, so our 401k or whatever is comparable in your work, you know, if it's not for profit or for the government, still... Uh, contribute to that up to the match, right? If there's a if there's a company match, but now instead of exceeding that and even dumping more if you can, now it's find that Roth 401k if that's offered to you or a Roth IRA because that is money that you pay taxes on now, and then in the future when you withdraw, you never have to pay taxes, so you don't even have to worry about what the tax brackets are. Is that what you would say? Hey, that could be a smart strategy. I think that is a smart strategy. And so I'm the grandpa, right? I have to pay these required minimum distributions. And, you know, so when I rolled out of my, uh, I had a 403B. Okay. Uh, Cause I was working for a state institution. So when I rolled that out uh, over into IRAs, then when I was, I'm pulling them out, right? Massive tax hit. So if you don't have, you know, and then in the Roth, it grows uh, tax-free as well. So you pay the taxes on going in the door and then, and there's no required minimum distribution. So th that's in many ways, that's a beautiful thing. The thing I worry about a little is that the 401k, you can put in 19,500. And if you're over 50, I think you can put in another 6,500. Whereas the IRAs are limited to 6,000 and you can put in a little bit more. Now those, for a lot of regular people, mm -hmm. 19,500 is a pretty big jump. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got that. I, I'll just tell you the way I did it is every uh, once a year, I'd meet with my uh, financial advisor. We'd move it up an increment. 
maybe I got a raise, you know, and maybe we yeah. had some dividends. I'd raise it another, then next year I'd raise it another increment. And then I'd raise it another increment until I was finally maxed out. And the big advantage of that, let's see what I worry about is people say, okay, I'll hit the match, fine. But that's not your limit, right? The government is saying you can put in almost $20,000 here that you can tuck away uh, before taxes. So, uh, you know, so there is some good reason to max out on your, that, so that's the thing I, I like to see. And, and if, uh, if you're never going to get to that level, fine, stuff as much as you can into a Roth IRA, because Roth has all the advantages you just talked about. And yet, like you were, you were alluding to earlier, since we're spending so much money, somebody's going to come down the road before long and say, we really have to kick up income taxes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so I, I think you make a, a very good uh, story. There. So look into the Roth and you, you, not everybody has access to it with their company. Not everybody has the Roth 401k or that's true too. Yeah. Not but all definitely players. look into it in the Roth IRA. But See, I'm trying to get people to save as much as they possibly can. Yeah. Uh, COVID has told us that really unexpected things happen. And if you didn't have a good emergency fund, now I don't want you dipping into your savings, your retirement savings, but my point is to boost your, your retirement, your, uh, your emergency fund, as well as your long-term savings as a hedge. And, and since, you know, part of the package that's, if it passes is another 1400, I'm trying to find my number here, uh, $1,400, uh, in a, in payments to households, yeah, that, that's going to be 413 billion of the package is uh, is that 1400 dollars to households. Maybe you want to save that. <laughs> if, yes, if, if you can, if you don't, that. right? If you get it and you don't, you're not in dire dire straits. You could pay your mortgage. You don't need it. Yes, save it. Grandpa Mark, thank you so much for your wisdom. Well. Uh, I don't, Grandpa Mark and Wisdom aren't often in the same sentence, so I, I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so now how can we find you, track you down, Grandpa, if we, uh, if we oh, want to learn you more? You can find me at markshug, it's spelled S-C-H-U-G, dot com. And if you go there, that's my website. And yes, we have this new book called Teachers Can Be Financially Fit, the Economist's Advice for Teachers. It's a good book for a, a lot of people, but really... We've talked before, teachers have had such a time. Uh, let's yeah. see if we could help some of our teacher friends uh, get a little more on the right track financially. So that's what this book is trying to do. All right, I love it. Thank you so much. Hey, it's always good to see you, Sandy. Chris and Audrey open up about how they run their family budget next. so excited to be here you're like honey what the hell did you get me into <laughs> he's pretty excited yeah you could tell i could tell <laughs> <laughs> thank you for doing this honestly first let's start with your last name audrey i don't know if my husband would be cool with that so chris i give you props right now because audrey professionally you're wackerman correct yes but you're really smith yeah, I mean, we're the Smith household, we're the Smith family. Uh, so, you know, when you grow up with a last name like Wackerman, you sort of earn your stripes. <laughs> and it's hard to like move away from that. I think for me, it was like going through all those, you know, kids picking on my last name or different choices. It was kind of one of those, you know, hard things to let go. 
Um, but also, you know, professionally, I work in insurance. My grandfather, who's a Wackerman, kind of the patriarch of our family, has been, you know, in insurance his entire oh. life. It's one of those boomerang professions for our family where you go away to college saying, I'm not going to do that. And for so many of us, we've ended up being able to work in employee benefits and insurance for a number of years and make a good career out of it. So there was a little bit of that to be had. Um, we weren't married when I started working in insurance. Right. And then there's also that just purely uh, refusing to go to the DMV and wanting to change your social security card elements to it. I am so. telling you, that was so devastating. Chris, you don't understand how devastating it is. They, so I don't have a middle name. I wasn't born. My mother got lazy or something. I don't know. She didn't give me a middle name. So when <laughs> I went to the DMV and they were the sweetest people there, the lady was like, I know this is tough for you. I'm like, I know. She's like, well, you don't have a middle name. So you can make your maiden name, your middle name. And you won't 100% let go of it. I'm like, I love you. Yes. So I'm like, yeah. Know, right. But anyhow. So everyone's blended a little bit. I thought about a, a hyphen and then I was yeah. like, Wackerman Smith is a whole, the whole mother <laughs> level of, of earning stripes. And so we've just kind of stuck with it. Yeah. I love it. So. But it, it makes sense if you are, you know, in the, in the business, if your grandfather you know, was in the same field and you, it obviously makes sense to carry on the tradition, but it just shows Chris, what a cool husband you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the new age, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, okay. So now merging finances, how was that? Was that easy for you guys? Did you so easily agree like with the last name or? You know, I, I think that it was some of it like a little bit creatures of habit. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, if you had your own private kind of stash, as you'd say, <laughs> it helps that you have maybe, you know, your little bank account you can play with and she has her own little bank account that she can, she can manage. And, you know, did you both yeah. think that way when you went into this, like the minute you got married, were you both like, Hey, let equally you agreed, let's keep our own accounts and then we'll have a joint account. Was that, so that was easy peasy for you guys to decide. I think it was easier for us because we lived together for so long before we got married. So we've been together for 11 years. We, you know, Chris had just bought his house. He had come back from the military. He spent a number of years in the Air Force and active duty, had moved back to pretty close to our hometown. And that's when we met. I had just finished college. So we moved in together naturally because he owned his house. And so we started kind of blending finances from there. Uh, but really kept things kind of separate, but equal, you know, I would pay the cable bill and the electric bill and the water bill, and he paid the mortgage. So that way, if we ever, you know, anything happened to us, he knew that he could pay for his kind of household bills and I would just help out. And then when we got married, we just kind of, I think, stuck with that same mentality. We were yeah. both raised in kind of single parent households, mm -hmm. um, kind of knew what it felt like to grow up with, you know, just getting by. Uh, and so we have very similar, I think, sentiments when it comes to money and saving and how important that is for us. Gosh, you guys are just so perfect, aren't you? Everything's just so easy. No, <laughs> but you know, growing up, you both kind of grew up in the same, you said, single parent household. So because you you were exposed to that. Were you almost a little bit protective over your own money? I think it's having that little safety net that helps. Yeah. 
you know, always, always knowing you have a little bit of a safety net behind you. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not dipping into that, then you really don't get too nervous, but. <laughs> so if you both grew up with the same mentality of live beneath your means, I feel like I'm sensing that you guys both did because you were forced to, you know, growing up in the single mm-hmm. parent house, um, some people would say they grew up so tight with the finances that when they went out on their own, they kind of just splurged and went crazy. I think we both had our moments. I mean, yeah. you bought vehicles and motorcycles. He but went through that phase in the military, I think. But I think we buy a lot of stuff used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We so don't now- buy brand new stuff. Yeah. Now, how do you run your budget then? What would you say is the best uh, advice that you could give another couple who's struggling with getting their partner or their spouse on board with it? Well, for us, it really started, I think, actually making a budget. It was pretty enlightening for Chris to understand. Uh, You end up in this kind of crazy mentality as you grow up sort of professionally and you may be making more money. You don't realize that you're not living in the same circumstances that you did when you were 25 or when you were 30. There's sort of these different benchmarks and, and hopefully you've continued to get raises and kind of continue on from there. So we had to sit down and we actually did a budget to see how much we really had to play with. And I think that for him, it was, it was easier to understand that we were doing better than we thought we were. Uh, But we also have talked about, and it's certainly evolved over the 11 years that we've been together, really what the financial number, the benchmark is, if you will, for when we have to ask each other for sort of permission, when it needs to be a family discussion about when we're going to have a large expenditure. And that's shifted, you know, 10 years ago, that large expenditure might've been like going out for a $50 dinner Mm -hmm. and say, okay, you know, if this is the once a week that we're going to do this or the once every other week that we did something like this. Um, Now that we've been together 11 years and we have a daughter, you know, that, that number might be closer to $500 or a thousand dollars, but there are certainly conversations that we have so that we're just kind of staying in check with each other and making sure that we, you know, there's no harboring of resentment or anything like that. If one of us makes a bigger purchase without necessarily talking to the other one, it helps us be more flexible. Who runs the more of the the budget? Who takes the lead? I always go to her for permission. (laughs) Especially if, you know, hobbies can take, you know, can get out of control and different things like that. So you got to be careful what you spend on your, your extracurricular things. Yeah, probably, probably me, but we try and do it together. Look at you, probably me, but Hey, listen, I'll own it too. My husband has no clue. I mean, he wants to be a part of it. He is, but it's really, really me. Good. We married good man, Audrey. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Any big fights though? It feels like everything has been so smooth with you guys. Any big fights that you're like, oh yeah, that was our turning point or no. You know, I think that it was really, it was difficult for a while there for us to get our heads around that we were really okay. I felt like I would be, you know, upset because I would be like telling him like, it's okay. We can make this purchase. We earned it. Like, Mm -hmm. and it was very difficult at first to get like 
I think us together to let go of that. I think we're both very used to putting something into like the need or the want category and moving on from there pretty quickly. Nope, we don't need that. And and it do- sometimes differs. You know, I'll say, I need a new car. And he's like, you don't need a new car. You're fine. <laughs> like some of those things, I wouldn't say that they're big fights. So we try and like nip them before they, they become big fights. We've certainly, our daughter's two and a half years old. Some of those fights have been about parenting different parenting styles right just trying and you're learning on the fly you know some of that doesn't you don't realize that you are like oh that's not that's not what I want to say until you're in the situation so yeah Yeah. those are it but we pretty much get along (laughs) yeah we try to how do you get to the point where you're so disciplined like both of you seem like it's it's just second nature to be that disciplined need versus want. That's it. We have a clear definition of what that is. And it's easy for us to say, you know, as easy as it can be to say, Nope, I don't need that right now. Cause a lot of people struggle with that. How did you get that? Is it because of your military background that it comes easy for you, the discipline side of it, or. I think that the stuff that you have now, you kind of cherish it a little more and you almost, you know, you're like, wow, I got more than I ever had. So you're like, why do I need more? But you know, you always dream about new purchases and owning that big shiny truck and stuff like that. But you know, <laughs> someday, not even someday. in the near future, because you have a two-year-old. So those days right. of spending lavishly, <laughs> the little bit of lavish spending you had gone. <laughs> now it's all for that little mooch. Yeah. And you're like, oh, cool. Daycare. That's like a third job. So <laughs> hmm. I know that's crazy. What have you changed since now your parents? We're definitely more conservative. We, we don't go out as much, but I think that that's every new parents kind of mm-hmm. measure. Right. And then this lovely little thing called COVID where you don't leave your house at all. So it really helps you save because there's nothing to spend money on. Well, we've continued to do home improvement projects. And, you know, yeah. if you were in the upstairs of our house right now, you'd see that we've decided to, you know, put new floors in and paint the whole thing. Yay. So we're working on that stuff, but, um, it, you know, that changed when we were, when we, when we had Lila, um, and then, you know, I think just you reshift like what you want to do in your extracurricular like before you know it might be going out with friends and and you know catching a movie going to the bar something like that now we tend to be we spend our money on more things that are family friendly um things that you can do with the family um going tubing going you know on a family vacation something like that and we do try and budget for bigger purchases where you know we've both funnily been a people and there's different mindsets. I'm not sure if anyone else on the podcast has ever talked to you about, you know, what people's thoughts are on taxes. We've been those people that uh, tend to pay more in taxes throughout the year so that we can get a refund check so that we can treat that as almost like free money. We know it's not, but it helps us give ourselves permission to spend it on something that's a bigger purchase. So for us, that's like, okay, we get this bigger amount that we weren't, anticipating and that helps us be more use that more freely because it wasn't something that was in the budget (laughs) if you will yeah yeah yeah. how about your parents were they can you lean on them still were they you know did no you're chris you're shaking your head advice yes 
advice now a large family six kids so it was it was tight really oh my gosh yeah. six, oh no wonder why you're so like used six to be like disciplined yeah 16 or 17 yeah 16 or 17 nieces and nephews so it's a large large family mm-hmm. it's on his side and then um my mom got remarried unfortunately his dad passed away when he was 17 um but we so we, we still both of our family were really lucky his mom is in greece and my my mom and stepdad are just you know about 10 15 minutes away so we do lean on them for advice my mom was totally and i think that his mom too um super creative in how you raise children in single parent households you know whether that's hand-me-downs. you know hand, yeah exactly i mean hand-me-downs but like both of them i think budget like no other. They're really, you know, because they had to be able to run their households on a finite amount of money um, and and do it before that was kind of second nature for women. Yeah. So that, you know, my mom is like, balances her checkbook down to the penny on a, on a regular basis. And that's an admirable quality. Like she knows at any given moment where her, where her pennies are. <laughs> so it's good. Do you do that now? Do you actually physically write it down? I'm always curious how people manage their money. Cause some people are spreadsheet kind of people and other people are, you know, through the apps. Is there any way that you find is easiest? I think we're, I'm like app spreadsheet. My mom is more like old school in that regard. And I say that in air quotes because that's just what works for her. Um, She would, I roll at me if she heard this because she yells at me for not balancing my checkbook. But I'm like, mom, (laughs) I have the bank mobile app right here. (laughs) I see everything that's coming in and out. So um, anyway. So now where do you, if you have money questions, because there's no one teaching us really still to this day. I mean, the kids are getting little sprinkles of financial education, but barely. Is there someone you go to? Like, how are you learning all this? How do you, cause you guys got it pretty much buttoned up. It feels like you guys know what you're doing. You have your goals in mind. You stick to your budget. You agree. I mean, I feel like we, you know, we probably made some of the same mistakes that, that any young couple makes in the sense where, you know, you could always be saving more earlier, putting things into retirement. Um, we got, I think, lucky that we, you know, have a financial advisor that has been really good, uh, good to us, good for advice, helps us understand the impact of, you know, uh, bigger, bigger ticket purchases, but also where we can have our money work for us. So, you know, Audrey and Chris, you have X amount of dollars in the bank. That's not necessarily doing anything for you. I can put it into, you know, an account that's going to help you make more interest than a savings account, which is earning nothing. Um, but you can access it more or, you know, helped us understand the difference between having, you know, both pre-tax and post-tax investments, whether that's like our 401k and opening up Roth IRAs so that we were, you know, kind of coming at it from a number of angles, but I think I got really lucky. My first professional job out of college was at Paychex. And I remember one of our trainers in onboarding literally sat down, you know, at the whiteboard and said, person A is 21 years old and they save a hundred dollars a month in their retirement until age 30. And something happens at age 30. And for whatever reason, they're unable to save anymore for their retirement. Person B start saving at, you know, 30, the same hundred dollars a month and makes that, you know, retirement investment for 30 years. 
but that person A who only saved for like that nine years has more money in retirement because they started earlier. And that was like, really like, it was a helpful way of getting, you know, reluctant 22 year olds coming out of college to start that 401k. But I also graduated college in 2009, right after, you know, it's a big recession. You know, my employer wasn't doing a 401k match, but they were trying to get us to still start it, even though we wouldn't have a match. And so really- that really is incredible how your employer took the lead to do that. Yeah. You know, so that was very like life-changing for me. I'm wow. the oldest in my family. So like trying to help my siblings then, you know, you yeah. almost entitled to like pass that piece of advice on. Um, but that was something that really always stuck with me. Yeah. See that, that just, you know, is just reinforces the importance of just talk openly talk about money. So, cause you never know who you're going to help. You never know what kind of impact you're going to make. Well, I appreciate the both of you so much for coming on the podcast and helping inspire other couples to get on the same page with money. Um, any final advice that you can drop on us? Don't hide purchases. Okay. That'll come back to you. I'm not sure if you're speaking from experience there or not. I think, yeah, like, I mean, be very transparent, yeah. have, try and have the hard conversations up front. It like, as difficult as they are to like wrap your head around it beforehand. Like we really do try and set goals for each other. We feel like we've got skin in the game and it kind of both attaches us to it financially. And as a couple, like just feeling better, more connected. Uh, but can't stress the financial advisor, no matter who it is, you know, sitting down with someone that can help you understand your finances and really want you where you want to go. We've just really been blessed to have that kind of support. So I love that. Well, thank you to the both of you. you. All right, grab a chair. We're about to take a seat at the kids table. Three great money apps for your kids. Okay. Take a seat at the kids table. (laughs) Founder of Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham is here. How are you? I am well, and I am happy I'm not where you are. In the snow. Is that what you're referring to? (laughs) I know. know. Biblical. Uh, uh, Okay, so today I thought we would talk about your favorite money apps, apps that we could could get the kids excited about learning, uh, you know, about money. But first we asked the kids... If they were to design a money app, what would it be like? Maybe um, a way for kids or teenagers to learn how to manage their money or document what they're saving and spending. Maybe that could be a good idea. And like, like it shorts your money, and like it won't like it won't be like all mixed up, and you're like, uh, mm. it will be like all sorted, and then it will say on the bottom ones in a group and then it will say how many ones. Oh. So then like you don't have to get all mixed up of this and it doesn't like it feels awful. Ah. You don't have to like get a headache or something. I I think that's a really good idea. I would do like a virtual credit card for kids so that they can learn what it's like to have a credit card and need to pay some kind of sort of taxes like that sort of thing. 
There's the creative side of our kids. What do you say? Do you have some go-to money apps? You know, uh, I'm a big believer. First of all, I need to state my platform. I'm a big believer in hands-on when kids are young, because I'm going to remind everybody, uh, money is abstract. So if you want your child when they're young, and I'm not saying, you know, they say up until age 21, kids don't really instinctively wrap their heads easily around abstract concepts and money is up abstract. until 21. I know, oh, which, wow. which makes everybody who gives giving a teen a car <laughs> and sending their kids off to college yeah. with credit cards, they should pause and think, okay, so where is my child developmentally? How can they understand abstract concepts, but yeah. you can cure this. You can cure this by working with them in a concrete way. So when they're very young, giving them a hands-on tool like a mm -hmm. piggy bank or making sure that they use pencil and paper. This is easy to uh, draw a picture of a goal or write down what their budget is. Mm -hmm. So if you do these fundamental foundational steps first, yeah. Then I'm, I'm all for uh, moving into the reality of our world today, which is uh, online. I mean, you cannot avoid it. It is what your kids will be doing. It's what they're doing now with their apps. So first set the foundation of concrete learning with pencil and paper and piggy banks and um, concrete tools, then move them into this new world. Okay. So don't jump into the app because it looks like it's the best solution, because it's not. So one app I love was started by Bill Dwight and it's called FamZoo, F-A-M-Z-O-O. Okay. I, I love this app because it's not just a spending app. It's not a, um, a debit card, how to use, just how to use a debit card. It is a family money management system. So it's, it's kind of like a private online banking, family banking system. You set the rules, you teach your kids how to save, spend, and donate, and you're the banker, and the kids are the customers. I love that because it engages the parents. So it's not something you just send your child off to, and then they uh, come okay. back to you for funding. Is this it's real money, or is this just it's real an app? Money. Money. Oh, oh. It's real money. Take a look at FAMZU. Busy Kid is another app I, I like because it's a chore app and it starts your child understanding that they're exchanging their time for money, um, much younger, but a good app. And then I, you know, I don't think the mint.org can be beat. I think it's a fundamental app for kids that are high school and older, even middle school kids can, can get a lot of information from there. And again, that app starts to introduce your child to structure. So budgeting and other tools. So that's the, those are the apps that I would look at. If you want an app that's fun, we invented savings spree, which is, you know, kind of a get the joke, saving, not spending spree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, saving spree, I, I, we developed this because it's a passback app. So when you want to give your child your phone to keep them occupied, we wanted them to learn something. And Saving Spree teaches your child how to save, spend, donate, and invest. We worked on it in partnership with a dad of three boys. Mm. And it's it's brilliant. I mean, I really think it is fun, and yet it fundamentally teaches choice.
and it gets them to repeat over and over the important save, spend, donate, and invest choices. And it helps them experience the consequences of those choices, uh, which is a real important point. Yeah, I think it is important though to somehow get them because a lot of their apps are mindless apps or right. their apps that I think, oh gosh, when was it around Christmas time we were talking about what's that one thing that you want that you, you got the idea about from a YouTube video or an app. Yeah. And some of those apps they were referring to talked about money, but not in the best way. So remember that any app you put your child on is going to start to teach habits and values. And if you're not involved as a parent, the values and the habits may not be aligned with yours. So choose an app like FamZoo that requires you to be involved. Yeah, yeah. It's easier to set habits early on than to change them later. So make sure you're involved in whatever app you get your kid engaged in. I love that. All right, Susan, how can we find you, follow you, and get that um, spending, not no, saving spree. Oh, I almost said spending spree app. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Um, you can, you know, people can go to my blog, susanbeecham.com, and you can read my point of view on things. And as well, then if you get truly inspired, go back to our website, moneysavvy.com. Take a look at the tools we have there that help you get this conversation started. And saving spree, actually, there's a link to it there. Awesome. Thank you, Susan. Welcome. That's a wrap. We're done. Till next week. If there's ever any questions you want us to tackle and no dumb questions, just let me know. If there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show, let me know. Or if you need help talking to the kids about money, we are here for you. This podcast is for you. Before we leave, we have to give a money victory shout out to Georgia Kimmy, who said paid off a car and a credit card last week. Oh, Georgia. I guess because you did two payments in full, done, off the table. Now we have to cheers twice. That's two glasses of wine, Georgia. <laughs> Congratulations, cheers to you, Georgia, and each and every single one of you who is proud to say that you're on your way to being a financially confident woman. Have a great weekend.